0: Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Well, hey Hey! Unfortunately, uh, I will not have a video like past sermons, but I'll have a video that maybe will cheer you up a bit give some humor and light to what we'll be talking about today. But before I start, um, as many of you know, we're coming to the near end, or this is the end of our series, Imago Jesus. And before we get into our topic for this morning, what I'd like to do is show you some pictures. Now, these pictures may be familiar to you and may invoke some emotion, and what? feel free to shout out whatever you feel whether that's nostalgia, happiness, sadness, any senses or smells that you may feel. Um, so go ahead and show that first picture for me. Ooh. Also, I didn't say welcome, house churches, online. I almost forgot that. Thank you for being here. But as you can see, this is a picture of Disneyland. Um, most people know it as the happiest place on earth. Um, I'm guessing many of the parents in here may be feeling the, sh- the shrinkage of their wallets. Many of the kids may be full of joy and bliss as they look at this picture with the fireworks in the background. Um, for me, I think about just a lot of sweaty people waiting in line for rides. Um, that's what I think of. Uh, why don't you go ahead and show this next photo. Uh, Now, this is probably quite the opposite of what Disneyland offers, the DMV. I just can tell many of you just quenched up as soon as I showed this picture. Um, You know, you could think about the times and how long the wait has been. Um, You know, actually, Oregon is actually pretty quick when it comes to the DMV. When I went to the DMV in Texas, I waited forever and never got to my appointment. So, uh, be grateful for Oregon DMV. Well, uh, let's show this last photo, and this is actually in particular to our students. Um, so, if you look, it's two different photos. Um, you can tell that one teacher had a little bit more time on her hands than the other. Um, and specifically, I mean, if I were to ask, which classroom would you rather be at? It would be pretty obvious. I can't tell which. Okay, this. Okay. You, I'm trying to figure out the direction. But for me, it would be the colorful classroom. Even as a a graduate student, I would way rather be uh, filled with crayons and coloring pencils uh, would be more my jam. Right. Well, um, if we were to reflect on just the impact and significance of spaces, it's actually quite an interesting phenomenon. The configurations, the acoustics, the lighting, the atmosphere, Uh, So much so that spaces in all reality affect our emotions, our productivity, and also our sense of belonging. You know, one psychologist notes that the spaces we inhabit and each thing within them hold our extended sense of self. But we not only shape our spaces, our spaces shape us and influence who we are. And so with that, you have every space we expect some sort of service, resource, and escape or solace. You know, grocery stores pro- provide nutrition, hospitals promote health, and uh, amusement parks, entertainment. And even as we sit here, we recognize that the church provides community, provides God's revelation, his mysterious presence, handsome preachers, And also, um, fruit snacks, which if you have those, feel free to get those out and start eating those right now. And so this morning, the question I would like to tackle is what is the space Jesus has created for people to be healed from their shame? And how do we image the creation of this space? Is it this church building? Is it a counselor's couch? or is it just a friend's presence? See, so many of you may be asking, okay, Ephron, why is this important to include in our series, and let alone include children in our such a deep discussion about shame? I'll provide three reasons. First, it's early. Did you know children actually experience shame as early as 15 months into their development? And sort of uh, related, Shame is such a integral part of the narrative of scripture that it's actually introduced as early as chapter two. In Genesis it says Adam and Eve were naked and what? Unashamed. Unashamed. It could have said anything. Could have said joyful, could have said happy. But it chose particularly unashamed. Next it's relational. Shame is a space that isolates us from loved ones. And lastly, direction. Shame distorts the future God often has for us. And so then, what is shame? We all kind of know what it is. We feel it. We we sense it when, when it happens. But how would you define it? Brene Brown defines it as such. Shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And so my hope this morning is that we would discover how Jesus creates this space to confront our shame, first for ourselves, and then for our neighbor. I believe our text this morning will not only give us insight into how Jesus pursues us in our space of shame, but how he reorders it in order for us to be healed from it. So if you would, would you please turn to John chapter 21, and we'll start in verse 15. Uh, For those of you without Bibles, it's up on the screen for you. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Follow me. And through this interaction, we see how Jesus pursues Peter in his space by reordering this space of shame for healing, but also to reorient him back to his call. In this sermon, we'll identify the three specific spaces that Jesus is creating in this scene, and those are repentance, restoration, and a recommissioning. So let us begin. Repentance, the space to return to God. Now, if you're familiar with the story arc of Peter's journey, you're familiar that this is right after the resurrection scene. So there's actually two other times that Jesus has met his disciples. Um, So this is the third time. But more important than that, this is actually right after Peter's three denials during the arrest and trial of Jesus of Nazareth. And knowing John has not resolved this issue in the gospel yet. And immediately what we see is that Jesus is after Peter. We're informed through the setting that shame and all its power has debilitated Peter. Brought him back to his default setting. Back to what he knows, being a fisherman. And if you're like me, you're... Regurgitating or listening to the first call of Peter um, in the beginning of the gospel, where it states, where Jesus states to Peter, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, Peter cannot imagine the future that God has set before him at this moment. His shame so overcomes him. Thus, when we see the first address and the first question that Jesus gives to Peter, it pierces at the depths of his soul. Simon, son of John, why is that important? Because this isn't Simon anymore, this is Peter, designated by Jesus. Do you love me more than these? Now this is awfully vague and actually could either refer to the vocation of a fisherman with the nets, the boats, uh, and just fishing. But it can also mean, do you love me more than these disciples? I believe the vagueness allows us to include both. But in that, we see Jesus' intention. He's out to reclaim Peter's past. And as mentioned before, shame is quite a bodily experience. It's not just an abstract thought that lives in the middle of nowhere, but it's actually something we feel, and we all recognize it. So in order to illustrate that, I have a video that I'll show um, up on the screen, so why don't you go ahead and
1: look up there. Did you ever see when the dog did something wrong, and actually if he did it? Well, I came home today, and this is the slipper. They were brand new, just got them yesterday. And I came home, and we have two dogs, and I can't decide, we weren't sure who did it. but then. You get this fella over here. Harley. Did you do this? What did you do to my slipper? Did you do this to my slipper? What did you do? Look. No, I didn't do anything. Look, he's shaking. Are you guilty? Did you do that to my slipper? Was it you? Come here. Did you do that? Now you have to buy me a new pair of slippers. Bad boy. Yep. I'd say he did it.
0: All right. Where are my dog owners at? Yeah, that's a pretty common occurrence, isn't it? You know, uh, as funny and humorous as that is, it's quite uh, relevant in how we are, what we do when we're exposed, when we're confronted with shame. Our natural inclination is to move in isolation, but more importantly, move away from the people we love the most. Shame has one of the strongest abilities to create distance between all loving connections and belonging. Yet what exactly is it about Jesus' pursuit and invitation to this vulnerability that scares us? Could it be that we believe we aren't worthy? That he'll leave us as soon as he knows who we really are? Or the scarcity of love? There just isn't enough love for me. You see, many of you may be saying, yeah, that's not me. I, Yeah, I don't believe that. But this is what shame does. It tells the story of our lies subtly until we start to believe it, and then so, living in a way of that truth. And as we'll see next, this couldn't be farther from the truth, which leads us to our next space. Restoration, the space to be healed by God. Notice the genius of the storytelling and Jesus himself by recreating this scene. In verse nine, you can actually see that there's a mention of a charcoal fire. The only other time this is mentioned is actually in Peter's denial around a charcoal fire. Secondly, the three repetitions of the question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, is an obvious echo at Peter's denial. And lastly, the setting in the sea as a fisherman, rehearsing what has been Peter's initial call. And so Jesus is not rehearsing or creating this scene to scold or shame Peter, but quite the opposite. He's doing it so Peter can be seen, heard, and felt. Jesus is creating this space to confront his shame Not through punitive measures, but through forgiveness and grace. And of course, Jesus is not overlooking the pain Peter inflicted. He's actually exposing it, revealing it. But in so revealing it, redeeming it back to what God intended. And as we see in the third question, Peter is actually grieved it's worthy to note that Jesus is not simply creating this emotion, but simply revealing it, what was really inside Peter. Now, imagine with me, God is figuratively requesting to enter your bedroom. And I can just tell some of you were like, yeah, no way, no one's entering there, it's a big mess. In that space, you're aware of the mess, the things you don't need, and the renovations required. And uh, this photo will show up on the screen. This is a photo of my nephew's bedroom. Um, And as you can tell, it's pretty cluttered, some random Amazon boxes. Uh, My favorite part, there's no bed frames, (laughs) just on the floor, looks like a bachelor pad. (laughs) Um, Right on top of the dresser, this is actually my favorite part, is that there's a random hammer, um, which this is for my nephew who's six and my other nephew who's four, which is not the safest thing. (laughs) But I think they're doing renovations. But, um, you know, God's request of vulnerability is a request to reach the deepest rooms of our souls. And some of you may have clean rooms, yet your closets really hide the mess inside. And it's sort of hard to see what Jesus can do for us in the mess. But when we allow him and invite him in, well, if we go to the next picture beauty renovation into our rooms and we do this by retelling our stories truthfully allowing God and his people to reshape our soul it allows God to rearrange throw away reshape the rooms of our soul and so in retelling our stories truthfully to those we love enables them enables us to move away from isolation and for them to move towards us. Shout out to my sister-in-law and my brother, Kristen and Sergio Perdomo. I told them I would do that, so I gotta do it. (laughs) Telling our stories to one another allows God, through the means of his people, to overshadow our shame with his love. And in the space of restoration, we're called not to stay there, but actually to measurable change Which leads us to our next space, recommissioning, a space to be sent by God. And in this space, there's actually something very profound happening in the exchange. If you know a little bit of Greek to be dangerous, like myself, um, you might have noticed that in Jesus questioning Peter, um, he uses a different verb for love, which is agapao. And Peter uses phileo, and so right now, we're introduced to this dissonance. Scholars have often debated whether there is a significance in the difference of meaning. But in order not to get lost too in the weeds, I'll tell you what I think John is doing. John has a particular kind of love in mind, that Jesus has been narrowing, narrowing throughout the gospel. And in that, this is a love that invokes the image of a great shepherd. So if we read in John ten eleven. It states, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Illustrating the shepherding imagery towards Peter's call in this verse in this section. Next we read John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Agape. This is love defined. John's imagery intermixing with Peter's call at this moment. And it's a love that reaches such radical obedience, not only to Jesus, but to the flock, that it be willing to die for it. And we see that in verse 18 through 19, that this is actually a vision of Peter's future. And thus Jesus' vision of Peter's life not only reclaims his past, but provides pathways towards his future. This reminds me of um, Kintsugi, which um, is a Japanese art, and many of you might be aware of this story. Um, it's about a warlord who has his favorite tea bowl carried by a servant. And as the servant is carrying the tea bowl, he drops it and it fractures into pieces. And immediately, the warlord, enraged, is out to kill his servant. And in the middle of it, the craftsman actually intervenes and says, Wait! I can fix this. And so the craftsman takes the fractures, gilds them back together with gold nonetheless, and then brings them back to the warlord. And as he's bringing it back, he says, this is what your bowl is really like. And isn't it true that this is what we are really like? Jesus' work illustrated in our shame and disappointment yet redeemed to be reused for his glory. Simple as that. I'll say that again. Jesus' work illustrated in our shame and disappointment, but redeemed to be reused for his glory. And although the, the gold in the bowl highlights the beauty of our brokenness, it most importantly highlights the craftsman, the goodness of the craftsman. God confronting our space of shame heals us towards paths of creativity, deep connection, but also future work. And you may be asking, what is the application in all of this? How do I take this into practice for our church, for me and myself, and for others? So in relation to the text, I've actually adapted a three-step practice to move from shame towards healing. I believe this would be best done with a group, a house church, a recovery group, or with a, a, with a good friend. And so this pathway is to die, to dwell, and to devote. Step one, to die. To die to sin and shame through confession. Now, again, with a house church, with someone you um, are really close to, a parent, a recovery group, and in this, in this space, we are confessing the lies that shame has been telling in our stories. So it's not just about sin that we have done, but sin that has been brought upon us and has guided us. And so the question prompted here to answer is what is the false narrative you've been speaking over your life? Next, to dwell. Dwell in God's loving presence. My recommendation is to do 30 minutes to an hour. In this time, in silence and in in a sacred place, I recommend the upper room or your house church, wherever that may be, that you would just spend the time to receive God's forgiveness and his affirmation over your life. And the question to answer here is, what does God really think of you? What does his word say? And lastly, to devote. Devote yourself to his future call. Know how you believe shame has been preventing you from taking that next step, or by seeing the future Jesus has for you. The question to answer here is how do I reclaim what shame has stolen, and how do I move forward? You see, we as a church are not only called to be the space to confront shame for ourselves, but to go out into the world, to every nation, every tribe, and to invade the spaces of our people into the healing presence of God. And as we know, this space actually isn't physical. It's not a church building, as COVID has taught us. But it's a very mobile people of God meeting each other, meeting in others' other people's spaces and invading them into a healing presence and so with that um, worship team if you would mind coming in as I wrap up I'd, act, I la- I'd like to end with a actually very vulnerable story you see not too long ago I was in an extremely dark place not only clouded with confusion um, a real sense of disappointment but shame You see, I was back home living with my brother and his family after leaving Dallas, Texas, and in every sense of the word, I felt shame. And just to give you some context, I had recently been laid off from my job. I'd left my master's program um, to try to resolve some family issues that were going back home here, or back home here, which proved unsuccessful. I had a failed engagement, and with that, failing convictions, And nonetheless, I was working at a bakery, not as a pastor or a teacher as I'd hoped. You see, my life hit this wave in this storm of what I perceived as unredeemable failures. And it was during this time that I attended a men's prayer liturgy group uh, as a leader, really just because it was all I had to have any sense of significance. And during one of our sessions, one of the pastors of the church decided to switch the routine, and instead of reading, um, reading a psalm for the day, he asked me to share my story. Good timing, right? <laughs> and so I did. And if you know me, I'm as open as I get. So unfiltered, raw. I expressed every shame, every failure, hopelessness. And it was at this moment, one of the elders proceeded to ask, hey, can we uh, anoint your head with oil? And I thought, really strange, but okay. Um, And he had actually bought um, oil from an Eastern Orthodox priest earlier that week. I thought strange, but I awkwardly accepted. And so every member came up and rubbed oil on my head. And it was as if with each finger that was on my head, it was as if God was whispering into the depths of my soul. My son set apart for my service. If I'm honest, uh, before it was over, I still thought it was strange and awkward. But as soon as I got in my car, I just sobbed uncontrollably. You may be asking, why? It was pretty clear what God was doing. God was after me. And he was in the process of reclaiming my story. And in somewhat mystical and personal way, I was just overwhelmed with love and reaffirmed in my call, and using the the members of this group, they saw something in me that I didn't have the strength to see in myself. They invaded my space, my introverted space, and healed me from my shame. And we at Salem Alliance have this really beautiful vision that we believe God wants us to be to be at city at peace with God. And I believe part of our call in that mission or vision is what I like to term reversing the momentum of Eden, meaning redeeming people's stories back to what God intended and invading the spaces of shame into the healing presence of God. Let's pray. Wow, God, you are so good. And I know today, there may be people experiencing deep shame and in hard places and may not recognize how much you are there and how you are waiting and in this invitation that you are out to find them. So God, would we accept you to invade our spaces, to heal us, nurture us, and recall us back to your vision. Lord, would you invade this space right now into the healing presence of God. We welcome you and invite you, and we love you, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And
1: again, thanks for listening.